0: Welcome to the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast, a work of the Southwest Church of Christ in Austin, Texas. We invite you to open your Bibles and follow along with us as we study God's Word together. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast. I'm Cody Westbrook, the preacher for the Southwest Church of Christ in Austin, Texas. You know, one of the best ways for us to improve our prayer life is to study the prayers of those that are recorded in the pages of God's Word, and that's what we want to do today. We want to turn our attention to 1 Samuel chapter 2, and we want to spend some time analyzing this prayer that we find in the first uh, 10 verses of this chapter, uttered by a godly woman named Hannah. But before we begin looking at the prayer, we want to say just a few things about the context. Of this uh, section of God's Word. First of all, we need to realize that Hannah's story begins where the book of Judges ends. The Bible tells us in Judges 21 and 25 that in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. There was no king in Israel during the time of Hannah, but Hannah's son Samuel would ultimately be the kingmaker. He was a prophet, and he was the last in the line of of the judges, and Hannah's son Samuel would go on to anoint Saul and David as kings over God's people. We also need to realize in the first chapter of the book of 1 Samuel, we learn some very important information about Hannah. We learn that she was married to a godly man named Elkanah, but Elkanah also had another uh, wife in addition to Hannah, and her name was Penina, and Penina had children, but Hannah did not. And this became a source of contention between the two of them, because Penina constantly reminded Hannah of the fact that she had children while Hannah did not. Ultimately, this drove Hannah to her end, her bitter end, and she um, approached the Lord on this matter. And she made a promise to the Lord that if he would provide her with a son, That she would dedicate that son to the service of God, and there he would serve for the entirety of his life. And so that's exactly what happened. At the end of 1 Samuel chapter 1, Samuel, Hannah's son, is born, and after he is weaned, she takes him uh, and an offering to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and she offers him as the Lord's servant. So in 1 Samuel chapter 2 we have Hannah's prayer that is recorded on the occasion of her coming to present Samuel before the Lord just as she had promised. So Hannah prays for a son, but this was about more than just having a baby. I'm convinced that to some degree, Hannah realized that God would use this baby, this son of hers, for his service and for his glory. And we see that uh, brought out in this prayer found in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Now, what we need to know generally about this prayer before we look at its specific contents is that this prayer ultimately is a prayer of thanksgiving for God's provision. The prayer is about God. He is mentioned in 10 verses 34 times. If we're really going to excel in prayer, then we need to know about and we need to appreciate the one to whom we are praying. And this prayer, mentioning God 34 times, is certainly going to help us in our desire to do just that. So let's notice three things about God mentioned in this prayer and then make some application. First of all, we need to recognize Hannah's thanksgiving. That's verse number one. The Bible says, Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord, "'I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation.'" Notice the things that Hannah mentions in this verse. She mentions that she had received joy. She mentions that she had received strength. My horn is exalted. And she also mentions vindication. "'I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation.'" So God had provided her with joy and with strength and with vindication... And so Hannah recognizes two things. Number one, she recognizes the greatness of the gift, the joy, strength, and vindication. But most importantly, she recognizes the greatness of the giver, and that is God. And now she will elaborate on that, uh, beginning in verse 2 and extending through the end of the prayer in verse number 10. Notice the first thing she says about God. In verse number 2, Hannah says that God is holy. In 1 Samuel 2, 2, the Bible says, No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. When we talk about the holiness of God, we should recognize, first of all, that God's holiness is the only one of his attributes that is mentioned in triplicate. In the book of Isaiah and in the book of Revelation, we are privileged to see some throne scenes where Isaiah and John are able to have a glimpse into the heavenly realm. And they see those who are worshiping and proclaiming the holiness of God. And on both occasions, it is recorded that they say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. When we talk about the holiness of God, we must recognize that we're talking about that attribute of God, which is His set-apartness, or His distinctiveness, or His separateness. In other words, God is different, or distinct, or set apart from all of those things that are impure. Things that are unholy, things that are defiled. The prophet Habakkuk would say in Habakkuk 1 verse 13, you are of pure purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot even look upon iniquity. In Leviticus chapter 10 and verse number 3 and Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 44 and Psalm 99 in verse 5 and so many other passages, we read about the holiness of God. And when we pray to our holy God, we should do so with the attitude of Isaiah that we see in Isaiah chapter 6, which is what we mentioned just a moment ago. This is Isaiah's throne scene, and let's read it together now. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, 4, and 5. This is what Isaiah sees. He sees the seraphim, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, here's our application, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When we approach God in prayer, we are are approaching a holy God who sits upon his throne. And we must recognize that we are but humans. We are but the creation, and he is our creator. He is holy, and we are made holy by the one who is holy. And so, therefore, we must recognize the privilege of approaching our holy God in prayer, and we must approach him with all of the respect and with all of the reverence that he so rightly deserves because of his holiness. But notice also in verse 2 of 1 Samuel 2 and Hannah's prayer, she says not only that the Lord is holy, but she says, There is none other like Him. None other like Him. Israel learned this the hard way. Hosea 2 verse 7, Exodus chapter 15 verse number 11, and a number of other passages. Throughout their history, Israel constantly was reminded that God is God alone and there is none beside Him. When we think practically about ourselves today, we think about all of those resources that are available to us in this life. Those who might help us in one way or another. The bank, our friends, our family, whatever or whomever it may be. All of these will eventually run out of resources, but God never does. He is the God who is constantly giving. James chapter 1, verse number 5. He is the God who always cares and loves and always provides. Nothing uh, that can't be said of anyone or anything else. Hannah says God is holy. She says that He is. There is none other like Him, and she says He is our bedrock. There is no. There neither is there any rock like our God. First Samuel two and verse number two. He is the foundation upon which we stand and upon which our hope stands, and He helps us. Hebrews four and verse sixteen. So what do we learn, first of all, from Hannah in her prayer? We learn that God is holy, and that when we pray to God, we are approaching a holy God, one who is completely unique. There's none like Him. In fact, there's no other God besides Him, and He is our bedrock. He is our foundation and our source of strength. And so when we approach our God in prayer, we must do so with with reverence and with respect, recognizing the great privilege of being able to pray to Him. Number number two, God is penetrating. Look at verse 3. In verse 3, Hannah says, Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. Notice this, God is penetrating. In other words, He sees and He knows. There's nothing that can be hidden from Him. The Lord is the God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. Perhaps it's the case that Hannah's enemy had boasted in God. Perhaps it's the case that Penina, while she was goading Hannah about not having any children, suggested that Hannah was childless because God did not look favorably upon her. Perhaps Penina said, God is uh, favorable to me but not to you. Whatever the case may be, Hannah uh, speaks out to her enemies and says, you can stop boasting now and you can stop uh, being prideful because God sees and God's, God knows who you really are. You see, God is a God of knowledge who is constantly evaluating our actions. And He is a God who does and who will right all of the wrongs. In 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse number 39 we read the following passage. First Kings 8 and verse 39, the Bible says this, Then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and give to everyone according to all his ways whose heart you know. For you alone know all, the, excuse me, you alone know the hearts of all men that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. Notice, God knows all. He knows the hearts of all people. Psalm 147 and verse number 5, the psalmist spoke about this as well. He made this statement. He said, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Over and over again, the Bible tells us that God knows and that God sees and that God understands all and that God is always present. And so we should take comfort in that. We should take comfort in knowing that when we pray to God, that He is not a God who is in the dark on any subject at all. He knows every intricate detail of my life. He knows all of my thoughts. He knows all of my fears. He knows all of my hopes and my dreams and my wishes. He knows the things that give me joy. He knows the things that give me anxiety. He knows what I want, but most importantly, He knows what I need. He is constantly evaluating our actions. That should give us us great peace and great comfort. But there's another part of this that needs to be considered as well. Listen to Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. In this psalm, David talks about the omnipresence of God and the omnipower of God, the omnipotence of God, and the uh, omniscience of God. That God knows all, He sees all, and He's all-powerful. And He also talks about the omni-righteousness of God. His all-rightness, if you will. And the conclusion of this psalm is this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. David is calling upon God to give him a deep, penetrating An honest evaluation. David says, look at me and look at me clearly and look at me deeply. And if there's any adjustments, any improvements that need to be made, then tell me and help me to find them. When we pray to a God, we should do so with a healthy reverence and respect, knowing that there isn't anything we can hide from our God because He sees and knows all knowing that, like David, we should ask him to search us and try us, but certainly it takes courage to do it, because the person who's trying to hide something from God in hypocrisy certainly would be fearful of what God might find. But let no man be deceived. Nothing can be hidden from God. Go back to 1 Samuel 2. First, God is holy. And when we pray to God, we must keep in mind the privilege of, of approaching a holy God with our petitions. Second, God is penetrating. And when we pray to God, we must be mindful that He knows and sees all and there is nothing out of His reach. Third, God is powerful. In verses 4 through 10, there are seven examples of God's power to right the wrongs. In verse number 4, Hannah says, "...the bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength." God makes mighty warriors weak and weak warriors strong." That's the idea of verse 4. In verse 5, she says, Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry ceased to hum- have ceased to hunger. Even the barren is born seven, and she who, also, uh, she who has many children has become feeble. Hannah says he feeds the hungry and gives children to the childless. In verse number 6, she says, The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he brings up. He has the power of life and death. In verse number 7, she says, The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He makes the rich poor and the poor rich. In verse number 8, she says, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and He has set the world upon them. He has the power to bring one from the pit to the palace. That's the idea of verse 8. And now in verse 9 and 10, she says, He will guard the feet of His saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven He will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His king and exalt the horn of His anointed. The idea of these last two verses is that God exalts His people and defeats His enemies. Now putting all of these things together by way of summary... What this teaches us is that when we approach our God in prayer, we must be mindful of the fact that we are approaching a God who has the power to answer those prayers. In Ephesians 3.20, the Bible tells us that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. We're approaching a holy God who knows and who sees all and who has the power to answer the prayers that we bring before His throne. Those are three things that we learn from this prayer. That we must keep in mind. In addition, Hannah's prayer teaches us the importance of being thankful to God in our prayers. God's will is that we be thankful in everything, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18. Hannah's prayer teaches us to pray with respect for God because He is holy and we are granted access to His throne room. Hannah's prayer reminds us to pray that God will use men in His service and to His glory, the epitome of selflessness. Hannah's prayer reminds me to pray with complete faith that God knows what I need and has the power to provide it. So practically speaking, in your personal study of God's Word, pay close attention to the prayers in Scripture and what they say about God. Give attention, second, to exalting God in your prayer. And third, give attention to thanking God in your prayer. Well, that concludes this episode of the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast. We thank you for joining us and hope that you will tune in with us again on the next episode of our podcast as we open up the Bible and study more of the wonderful Word of Life. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast. Please visit our website at swcofc.org for more information about the Southwest Church of Christ. And if you're in the Austin area, please come and visit with us. Thank you for listening, and please join us again as we open up our Bibles and study more of the wonderful Word of Life.